Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. We're talking healthcare today, February 7th. My name is Christine Hargis, and I have Motley Fool healthcare contributor Todd Campbell joining me on the phone. What's new, Todd? Christine, did you get a chance to watch the Super Bowl? I was in a room where it was playing, yeah. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, between the Patriots' uh, loss and uh, the stock market's craziness, the last couple days have been a little bit... A little bit challenging for me, but you know we will we will persevere. Yeah, I, I assume you were watching pretty closely to the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I know most of the most of the nation is cheering at the Patriots' lost, um, but you know, hey, you know, credit where credit is due. That was a heck of a game, and uh, Foles, wow, he he was the quarterback for the Eagles was just wonderful. I couldn't believe how composed he was under pressure. And uh, they deserve the win. Absolutely. That is just such a big thing of you to say. Good for <laughs> you. <easy> for me. <laughs> it's for me to say that, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure that uh, the Philadelphia fe- uh, Eagles fans are just absolutely on cloud nine. They they deserve to have that win. And, um, you know, hey, you know, the Patriots remain still a great franchise. And, um, and we'll be back again soon, I promise. Uh, much to the chagrin of many. And, um, you know, the stock market, you know, the, the same underpinnings that have supported before remain in place. So, you know, I think we'll get through all of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a crazy week so far. So, morning, we are filming this actually on Tuesday. So, uh, it's only the 6th as we are recording. But yesterday, Monday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 1,175 points, which is the most number of points it has lost ever. And for me, that's the largest percentage drop that I've seen since I've been in this business. The last time we had a drop that was this large in terms of percentage of the Dow was in August 2011 during the Euro debt crisis. And I don't know what it was like for, for you and the conversations that you were having, Todd, especially since you're working remotely. but. Around the office, there was a lot of buzz, but I, I don't know. I just it reminds me of how fortunate we are to have a foolish long-term philosophy because the sentiment was mostly positive. People across the fool are cheering at the fact that stocks are going on sale. Yeah, you know, I have enough gray hair on my head to remember the 2011, the 2008, the 99. <laughs> um, you know, we we have seen this before, and I think that you know to put things into context for listeners, you know, again, a 4.1 percent drop on Monday is scary um, as far as the S&P is concerned, but it's certainly not unprecedented. You know, I went back, Christine, and I crunched the numbers. Since the market's low in 2009, so March of 2009, the S&P has fallen on 17 different occasions by 3% or more, 17. So, you know, it's it's tough to look at a down 4% day and then you start going, oh my God, am I owning the right things? And and it kind of puts throws a, a, a lot of curveballs at your willingness to stay foolishly focused. Uh, but this is this is not new territory. And, you know, it, it it's despite all of the 17 times that we've been here before since 2009, we still went on to put in uh, new highs on the stock market. So staying focused on great stocks for the long haul. Uh, that's the best approach. To loosely quote Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner, 
stocks will go down a lot faster than they go up, but over a long enough amount of time, they will go up way more than they'll go down. So, like you said, Todd, this is not terribly unusual. Another interesting stat that I came across is that the S&P 500 has had 35 drops of at least 10% since 1950, and that's about one every two years. The last correction we had was about two years ago. So, you could kind of surmise that we're due. This is not terribly surprising, and it's not really a bad thing. It's just kind of how this all works. But that right. being 10% said, corrections, Christine, they are, you're, like you said, they are pretty common. And if you look at the S&P and where it peaked in January, we almost got down to the 10% correction point over the course of a couple trading days. Yeah. You know, we got down, I think it was 258. We got down to 258.70. So within within a hair. Yeah, and who knows what's going to happen the rest of today, Tuesday or tomorrow, Wednesday when the show gets released. So, we might right. be crossing and, you know, over it can that be threshold. Sloppy trading, Christine, but I even did the numbers over the course of the ensuing 30 days following those 17 drops that that we've seen since 2009. And even if you just look out 30 days, you know, the average and the median return uh, a month later is still between 3 and 5%. So, you know, just Patience is typically rewarded, and it could be as rewarded as quickly within a, a month, if that helps our investors stay foolishly focused. And speaking of being patient, The Motley Fool as a whole is working on uh, putting together a comprehensive set of tools to help our readers and our listeners and our members think about a market crash. So stay tuned, and we'll be sure to let everybody know how you can access these materials as soon as we have it ready. But do know that we've got you guys in mind, and we will be putting out something in the very near future. So, that being said, about the broader market, today we are going to talk about two specific stocks because it doesn't really matter so much what the whole market is doing. It's always a good time for investors to be thinking about individual companies and their business models and their catalysts that are coming up. So, the two stocks that we want to cover today are AbbVie and Vertex. They're two of the largest biotechs. They both recently reported earnings. And up first, let's do AbbVie. Todd, what's the latest? Well, you know, one of the reasons that I want to talk about these two companies is they're they're companies that are on my personal watch list for an opportunity like this. I mean, they were both very big movers in 2017. Abby, for example, was up 60% last year, which is pretty remarkable for, for a company its size. And, you know, if you look at, you know, hey, are there any blue light specials? You know, do I want to go out and buy? Then now might be a good time to consider a stock like Abby because, you know, its shares have fallen about 12% from their peak on January 26th. And January was a news-packed month for this company, where they rolled out a lot of long-term plans um, that really are, are quite encouraging. I think first and foremost, we should probably discuss Humira. That is their lead drug. It's, it encompasses 65% of the company's sales. And they reported sales of $18.427 billion, which was up 14%. So, that's very encouraging. And they expect it, and that was for the full year, by the way, um, they expect the sales will continue to grow to $21 billion by 2020, which is not terribly new news. That's something that we learned during the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. Um, this is important because there have been a lot of questions regarding the Humira patent and whether or not this flagship drug will be able to continue to perform. And I think the news that came out of this company on January is fairly promising for the stability of this important driver of their business. Oh, absolutely. You know, 65% of their sales, and I think up until 
um, you know, the fall of last year when they got a, a favorable patent decision, people were really wondering what's going to happen when Humira Biosimilars start entering the market. Um, just as a refresher, last September, they did indeed get a positive verdict on a, on a patent um, challenge that was brought by a competitor, and that prompted um, um, a non-exclusive license with Amgen that will keep biosimilars to Humira off the market until 2023 in the United States. And I think that that's one of the big reasons that AbbVie's been uh, such a winning stock over the course of the last four or five months is that people are starting to look at it and say, okay, well, that gives me a lot of running room or AbbVie a lot of running room to develop new drugs that can get launched and, you know, pick up the slack once Humira does start to face off against those challengers uh, over the course of the next decade. And, um, you know, Christine, if you look at the, the numbers that the company put up in 2017 and, and the potential growth for those non-Humira drugs through 2020 and even 2025, it, you know, it, there there's a lot for investors to like. You know, 2017, the company's sales were $28.2 billion, and that was up 10%. You know, growing 10% for a big company like this, that, that's pretty remarkable. And even better, you know, they're, they have really good operating leverage. And that means they're translating more of those sales into bottom line profit. You know, their, their bottom line earnings per share were 560 in 2017. And that was up 16%. I mean, that's nothing to nothing to uh, to dislike about those figures. Yeah, and you look at their 2018 guidance, and it just gets stronger. They're guiding for an operating margin of 44%, which is 150 basis points higher than 2017. Their adjusted uh, EPS guidance is now a range of 733 to 743, which is up 96 cents from the previous range that they had given for 2018. And eight cents, you might think that that's all because of the, ta the tax uh, reform, but eight cents of that is due to stronger operating dynamics. And so th this is a company. Company that is looking at some pretty strong growth in some of its key drugs aside from just Humira and also some exciting things coming up in the pipeline. And I do want yeah. to talk about those pipeline yeah. drugs, but first, just really quick to hit on some of their key drugs that are already on the market. Imbruvica, which is a drug that the company co-markets with Johnson & Johnson, had sales of $2.6 billion, and that was up 40%. Uh, meanwhile, their hepatitis C market is doing really well. This actually shocks me, but their, their main hepatitis C drug has a market share of 32%. I did not realize it was that high. And of course, that, uh, that franchise's sale was up 62% year over year. Yeah, and they think that those Hep C sales, Christine, can climb to 2.5 billion in 2018, uh, which would be pretty remarkable considering that in 2017 those Hep C sales were 1.3 billion, and that's all because of Maverick. And um, you know, if you look at Maverick, it's it, I think that that's probably the, the stiffest challenge yet that Gilead Sciences has faced in the hepatitis C, um, and it should still be able to provide billions of dollars in revenue for Abby over the course of the next few years. And then with Imbravica you know, still being able to grow that quickly on such a on such a high base of sales, um, that's due label expansions. You know, as, as this drug is getting used earlier and earlier in treatment, um, and also into other uh, indications such as graft versus host disease, which went approval for last August, um, those are really driving sales higher. And the other thing that people should remember is that with Imbravica, um, they share. Uh, that drug with Johnson and Johnson. So the fact that you know they're reporting 2.6 billion dollars in 2017 sales just goes to show you just how uh, important that drug is overall, considering that, that, that Johnson Johnson shares that with them. Yep, absolutely. Let's look forward a little bit. What are you watching in the pipeline? 
Well, there's a few different drugs that I think could could move the needle meaningfully over the course of the next few years. Uh, Venclexta, which is uh, a drug for CLL, um, they produce, produce some pretty impressive um, combination study trial results using it alongside rituxan in, um, in people who are relapsing or refractory. That's the chronic lymphocytic leukemia indication. Um, and, you know, that's an indication that Imbravica is already approved in, but Imbravica is moving up in early earlier lines of treatment. So this could fit in now under uh, uh, behind it. And um, that could turn that drug that drug into a multi-billion dollar seller over time. Um, but even bigger are the opportunities associated with Rovat. I, I don't even want to pronounce the names of these, so I'm just going to use the old name, ABT494, and uh, another drug called Risencanzumab, <laughs> which are autoimmune disease drugs that are in the pipeline and fast approaching the market. Yeah, I'm staring at the name of ABT494 right now, and I, I'm going to give it a shot. It's UPA... Upadacitinib. Sure. So, yeah, <laughs> take note of that, that works. one. That works. Yeah, those, I mean, those drugs really, uh, we'll call it U and R. How's that? That's easy. So yeah. U and R, uh, those are potential Humira successors. Uh, you just put up really good data last year in rheumatoid arthritis. They think they could get that into the market sometime in 2019. Uh, R just put up good uh, data uh, recently in psoriasis. They think that could also land on the market in 2019. And they're projecting that U and R could you know, generate between five, six and five billion respectively and peak sales over time. So those are important drugs. They also have another drug uh, for endometriosis that is um, at the FDA awaiting approval. If that gets approved this year, that could be a billion-dollar seller at some point, too. Yeah. And let's not forget that this is also a company that's offering a 2.5% dividend yield. So I I can see why it's on your watch list, Todd. Well, yeah. And you know that dividend, Christine, has increased by about 77% since they got spun out of Abby, Ab- Abbott. And um, I think that, you know, when you look at their effective tax rate falling to 9%, their guidance is for operating margins to climb over time to 50% from, you know, the mid-30s where they've been historically. I think that you've got a lot of tailwinds for future dividend increases that make it even more exciting. Yep, absolutely. And the latest on Vertex will be coming up after this quick break. Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. As promised, we want to next dive into Vertex Pharmaceuticals, which we talked about at the end of 2017, highlighting them as one of the best-performing healthcare stocks of that year. They ended up being up 103% over the course of 2017, bringing them to a market cap of around $40 billion today. They reported earnings about a week ago on January 31st. Todd, what stood out to you? Yeah, if you're kicking yourself for not getting involved in this company last year, you know maybe maybe you get an opportunity to get involved here in 2017. Uh, shares are down about 10.7% since February 1st close. That's a, a pretty solid decline for the company. And of course, nothing has changed to the story. They remain uh, probably one of the most innovative companies out there, uh, specifically within the area of cystic fibrosis, which you may recall from prior shows, 
is a hereditary disorder that can cause the buildup of mucus in the lungs. Infections that occur can damage respiratory systems and unfortunately lead to a premature death. Sadly, there have not been a lot of treatment options available to cystic fibrosis patients in the past, but that's changed thanks in part to Vertex. And as a result, the company's sales and its profitability now are growing really quickly. Yeah, they have had cystic fibrosis drugs on the market for many years now, but they've been able to steadily expand the number of patients that these drugs and hopefully going forward others will be able to treat. And they're hoping that eventually their drugs could help up to 90% of cystic fibrosis patients. But they do have a handful of catalysts coming up very soon that could meaningfully expand the number of people that they're currently able to help. Yeah, before I dive into those, I just want to give a quick quick and dirty on what the, the final quarterly results were, the final full year 2017 results were for our listeners. Sales last year were $2.5 billion or $2.49 billion. That was up 46%. And earnings per share were up $1.95 or 129%. So there are two drugs that they have on the market right now, Calideco. Uh, I always pronounce that right. <laughs> Kaleidico, thank you. Kaleidico, sales of that drug increased 20% year over year to $845 million. And Orcambi, sales of that drug increased 35% year over year to $1.32 billion. Now, what's interesting about this company is at the end of this month, there is an FDA decision that's expected on a two-drug combination. If that two-drug combination of its Ivacaftor and Tezacaftor, if that gets approved, that'll increase the addressable patient market from another to by another 1,500 patients. Now, right now, uh, uh, Kaleidico and Orcombi can treat about 29,000 of the 75,000 or so cystic fibrosis patients that are out there. So increasing by another 1,500 is a bullish thing. That's a very good thing. If they win approval for it, that two-drug combo can then act as a, um, I guess, a, a kind of like a fundamental underpinning for these other combination studies that they're uh, conducting to come up with a triplet therapy that could theoretically get us to that point you were talking about previously, where we could get to 90% uh, of the cystic fibrosis pa- patient population. Yeah, so the way to think about this, so Kaleidico and Ivacaftor, that's the, the same thing. So the duo that they're looking at with the February 28th PADUFA date is a combination of Kaleidico and Tezacaftor. They're also looking at adding a third one of these drugs into that mix or in various other combinations uh, with a handful of phase threes that are starting this year. And so these are all incremental changes that can hopefully address more and more patients because this disease takes a lot of different forms. And so it's not like you can just have a drug approved for cystic fibrosis. It's always much more specifically narrowly defined. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, Vertex does think that its drugs could eventually help up to 90% of this entire patient population, which is pretty incredible. And so they have three main goals uh, of categories of goals that they laid out at JP Morgan. And only one of them is really cystic fibrosis related. So the first goal is achieve the company's vision in CF. But then beyond that, it's expand the pipeline outside of just cystic fibrosis. And the third category of goals is build financial strength. So this is a company that does clearly believe it's only just getting started. And they've made a lot of progress in CF. And I'm looking forward to seeing what they do beyond that as well. 
Yeah, these drugs originally got approved. They were approved for, for older patients. And as additional study data has come out, they've been the labels have been expanded to include younger and younger and younger patients. And that's one of the reasons now that you see so many people um, that can that can be helped by these drugs. I think that you look at this and you say, okay, they're doing two billion in sales now, and that's only by treating less than half of the addressable market. Wow, what could happen from there? Uh, in 2018, they haven't said what their guidance are for sales and earnings are yet. They are going to wait until the FDA weighs in with the decision on the two-drug combo at the end of the at the end of the month. But it may be helpful for listeners to know that uh, industry watchers are predicting $2.98 a share in earnings this year, and that's up from 285. Uh, 90 days ago. So yes, you've got operating leverage here as this drug is getting, these drugs are getting more widely used. That's translating into profits for this company that it can then use um, to reinvest into different projects in its R&D pipeline, including um, uh, they've got one trial they're conducting alongside Johnson & Johnson for uh, therapy for in, uh, flu-related complications and people who are, who are hospitalized. They've also got a pain drug in mid-stage trials. And I'm sure that we're going to hear over the course of the next 12 to 18 months uh, a lot more about what their plans are to expand beyond cystic fibrosis. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, better buy Vertex or AbbVie? I got to say that I got to go with AbbVie. Uh, I think they just have more shots on goal right now than Vertex. The other thing that makes me a little nervous about Vertex, and invest, investors should be paying attention to this, AbbVie's actually working with Galapagos, which is another company, on their own cystic fibrosis drugs, their own combination trials, um, and data should start coming out of that this year. So theoretically, Vertex may not have this market all to itself um, come 2020. Yeah, I'll also add to that, uh, Vertex is partnered with CRISPR Therapeutics, which is a gene editing company, and they're looking at one-time cures for cystic fibrosis, as opposed to right now, uh, treatment is chronic. So, they could also be working themselves out of a market there, too, which is, of course, a very good problem to have, but that something to keep an amazing, eye on. That would be just amazing, wouldn't it, Christine? Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally super bullish on gene therapy and I'm incredibly excited by all the advancements that we're seeing and the different diseases that these companies are tackling. But that is a topic for another day. Todd, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. The show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Thank you.